Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. If you look at it nationally, only 2% of the industry is owned and operated by Blacks, um, despite conviction records at 80% for that same Black community. So the fact that we're owned and operated by a, a Black woman differentiates us. This is The Cannamom Show a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back to The Cannamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one can of story at a time. So my intro is long. I always forget how long it is, but I guess it gets you in the mood. And... <laughs> Yeah, you, I mean, we could come up with something shorter, but now listeners are used to it. I think they enjoy it. It does yeah. describe what you're all about for sure. That's true. You're getting into. So um, speaking of that, did you, this is a strange segue, did you know that today, which is actually a week ago, mm. is the 50th anniversary of the iconic Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon I album heard release? That. Mm-hmm. I heard that, yeah. the There are DJs that are playing it in its full, if there are any DJs left. <laughs> it's been replaced by podcasters, but yes. Sometimes I talk about random stuff that is not cannabis connected. I think this is definitely cannabis connected. So if you haven't ever heard it, it wouldn't 50 be 50 years old. Yeah. It wouldn't be the same, I don't think, without cannabis. That's for sure. Now, is Dark Side of the Moon the one that they say if you play it while you play The Wizard of Oz with no sound, that it syncs up to the actions? Have you heard this before? Again, I know nothing about music, guess- despite being the, the mother of a rock star. So possibly. You're. 
your get your guests who are still on mute at the moment. They're nodding. So I think I've got that right. <laughs> they're, they're younger and hipper than me. All right. I thought that was sort of strange little coincidence. Yes. Um, and today is March 1st. So it is the beginning of Women's History Month, although every day here is Women's History Month. Are there really men in cannabis, Dave? Yes, I'm a man in cannabis. I'm right here. <laughs> true, true. But we have three women here today because yes. that's the way we roll. Ashleen and Riley are here to talk about their Take Root dispensary training a little bit later after we talk to our guest. So we're going to come back to that. And let's see. One more. Oh, tax season. One more thing. Oh, I hate doing my taxes. It me actually too. makes me anxious thinking about it. And there's nothing weird about my taxes, yeah. unlike the cannabis industry. Right, right. I think maybe I'll just review this again because it is tax season. 280E. For those of you who are not aware, there's an IRS code called or known as 280E, and it precludes entities that illegally sell Schedule 1 or 2 drugs for making key tax deductions on their federal filings. And cannabis, as we all know, remains a scheduled drug, which is just kind of chaotic. Mm. But we're a business. It's very difficult. I feel a lot of empathy for my CPA, cannabis CPAs today. So yeah. yeah, tax season. But wait, if you're selling legally within the state, take the state that we're in, Massachusetts, that 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 wouldn't apply to you, wouldn't it? Because you're legally selling, right? That's your yeah. federal tax return. So, so when you're doing, again, I don't understand this. I, I'm sure our, our guests today okay, understand they'll fill this, us in, there right? are, There's a lot of issues. If we want to treat this like a normal business and not treat it like plutonium, there are just a lot of standard things that businesses do that cannabis businesses are not allowed to do, which because of the tax code. So I know New mm. Jersey, they're trying to do something at the state level. I'm not quite sure what's going on in Massachusetts. I'm sure there's some things trying to be done, but this is a bigger issue. So I am sorry for everyone doing their taxes this season in campus. Mm. Yeah, we feel your we pain. We feel your pain. So deschedule or bust. Deschedule or bust. That's our motto. All, All right. right. And one more thing before I guest, we have our Canon Mom Show Culture Corner today. The Culture Corner. Oh my God, I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I just want to recommend a movie. It's not really a cannabis movie, but it is something I like to talk about. It's called The Quiet Girl. Again, not cannabis related, but it touches that topic I like to remind people of, the power of kindness and quiet. There are a lot of many people in the world who are not loud, and we all have stories. And this is a movie that doesn't treat quiet like a problem to be solved. It's just part of the story. And maybe it's our superpower. It's small. It's a Described as a, quote, a tender Irish drama about a young girl sent to live with relatives. And it's been applauded for its message of compassion and kindness. The Quiet Girl. Wow. Did you see it in the theater? I have actually not seen the full thing yet. I have just been reading oh. about it constantly. So <laughs> I just feel like this is, it's just come out. I heard, it on, I heard it on fresh air because everyone knows I want to be the Terry Gross of cannabis. So I listen to her every day. <laughs> And they have their own culture corner. So I just know, again, I talk about quiet revolutionaries. I like the power of podcasting. It's my voice in your head. It's a superpower. But, you know, a lot of this industry is still who's out there showing themselves and making a big fuss. And that isn't everything in the world. So quiet. It's powerful. Yeah, it looks like it's only out in theaters right now and incredibly acclaimed. 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's really so. good. Again, a quiet film making a splash. Yes. All right. Well, let's move on to our guests. So today's guest, I don't know if you're following me on Instagram. I drove out to Springfield with my husband. So this is today's guest, people. Today's guest is a dispensary owner out in Springfield, Mass. She has said her journey into cannabis was not an obvious path, but after graduating from college, she found herself working with her local city government 
and was introduced to the emerging cannabis industry. With the epiphany that cannabis could be something beneficial and monetizable, she began her journey to become the CEO of a woman-owned, black-owned, and family-owned dispensary in Springfield. Here today to share her journey into cannabis, why she's so, so committed to her community in Springfield, Mass., and what the secret sauce is of her family business. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Peyton Schubert of Six Bricks Dispensary. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Well, thanks for joining us. Okay, so then let's be, I know the dispensary journey is a whole other story, but just tell us your why. Why are you so committed to being there in Springfield and helping your community? Yeah. And, and, and for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Springfield's a small city in the middle of Massachusetts. You can describe it a little bit better than that if you want. Yeah. Well, so for context, I was born and raised here in the city of Springfield. So it holds a special place in my heart because like many things you can't change about yourself, you can't change where you're from. And so I always took extreme pride being from the city of Springfield. I am someone who views the glass as half full versus half empty. And when I started to see the city of Springfield, Field, figuring out zoning around cannabis and frustration really kicked in because you saw a lot of large multi-state operators who were following the zoning ordinance, listening to neighborhood councils, but with the intent really to stand up dispensaries and make as much money as possible and send it back to corporate, which means that the dollars and cents that could be benefiting the community of Springfield were going to go out of state. And the only job opportunities that were really being discussed were bud tenders or inventory specialists, but there was no conversation of mid-level management or C-suite opportunities. And yet, when you think about it holistically, a community like Springfield, which is the third largest city in the state of Massachusetts, right, is an area of disproportionate impact. So when you think about it holistically, when cannabis wasn't legal, you had black and brown people pay the price, right? But now that it's legal, they don't even get to participate in the industry in a meaningful way. And so my frustration really started to manifest itself in figuring out ways I could remedy it. And before I knew it, I had and just Peyton, let's go back up. You are young. Oh. Just so like people, they can't see you. You're a powerful young woman. I mean, this is a very passionate place you're coming from, which, you know, purpose and drive, that's kind of like the whole meaning of life. So this idea that this was something that came to you and you understood and you felt you felt that you could fight for this is pretty impressive just in itself. Just <laughs> to kind of keep it in context. All right. Um, no, so you're, I appreciate you're, that. You're committed to your community. This is where you're from. This is where you started. So let's, um, let's kind of back up. So Six Bricks, I visited it last weekend with my husband. It's awesome. We had a great Bud tender. The manager came out and talked with us. We took a nice video. It was freezing. They told us where to get pizza. <laughs> full service. It is the antithesis of an MSO, which is a multi-state operator. These things, you know, we think of these entities coming in. But you're the are you the first retail in dispensary in Springfield? Is that your no, we are the third, but we're the only non-multi-state operator. Okay. So just sort of describe multi-state operators, maybe clean and shiny or whatever they're coming in. How are you so different? Why are you so different? And I mean, I guess also. Well, we'll come back to the Springfield part. But yeah, like, what are you really, what's so different about you? Yeah, I, I think we're different for a few reasons. One, our ownership model, right? So if you look at it nationally, only 2% of the industry is owned and operated by Blacks, um, despite conviction records at 80% for that same Black community. So the fact that we're owned and operated by a, a Black woman differentiates us. But when you actually get inside our dispensary, you see so many different aspects of what I'm proud of. So we pay 
um, homage to the city of Springfield. We have a word cloud wall that speaks to the fact that though we call it cannabis, when I grew up, it was weed and marijuana and so many other words that just oftentimes get erased when you think about the history of what now has become a commodity in this larger industry. That is a billion dollar industry. We have a, a timeline that speaks to the history of cannabis for when cannabis was not legal. And unlike many dispensaries that have white, green and natural wood, um, we have bright colors of red and yellow and really wanting to feel that when folks walk through the door, they could be welcomed and not feel as though they were in an Apple store, but in an authentic experience of what cannabis has always been to me, which is creating community. Which is just really, I mean, so important to hear that. Okay, let's start at the beginning. So when you, you're not that old, but when you were younger, what, what was your relationship with cannabis? How did you get connected with cannabis? And why would you believe that this is something, again, I talk about my own, I'm old. I had a cannabis awakening late in life. I didn't really understand what it was, but now I can see all these women who are in it, who have healed themselves or their family or seen something are so passionate like you. So what is your cannabis story and how did you get here? Yeah, great question. So growing up dry household, so no drinking, oh. no smoking, um, Athletics were all the craze. So soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, track in the spring, summer soccer, begin again, right? So there really wasn't a conversation around cannabis growing up outside of the reality that I did have friends who consumed. I just was too scared to try it myself because I knew I'd get in trouble. And so the irony of it is having to approach my dad and say, I'm not going to law school. I want to legally sell cannabis which was immediately followed up with, when did you start smoking weed, Pete? And to only explain, I'm not smoking it. I just acknowledge that it's a business model. And so for those who are unfamiliar with the city of Springfield, there is a rhetoric of your young, high potential. Uh, you got to move to Boston or New York to really make something of yourself. And that was a frustrating dynamic because I see so much potential here in the city. That's of very interesting. All right. So kind of going back. So I have kids who are in their 20s. So they've kind of left the area of Cambridge kind of because of cost, because they grew up here. But this idea that we're told if you succeed, you have to leave the community that um, nourished you. That's not a very good message we give people. That's interesting. So, anyway, no. so all right. So your story is a little complicated. So you are not someone who used cannabis for health and wellness. You are not someone who is so sick that they needed it for something else. You are not someone who saw a parent or some other relative use it and have some kind of miraculous cure. You saw it as a business opportunity because you were in the city of Springfield Council. You're working with the city. How did that get to be? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I lived here in the city of Springfield. And so the biggest thing was how could I stay here and have a meaningful career? At the time, I was working for a financial service company, but you see enough rounds of layoffs to realize this might not be a sustainable model. <laughs> and gone are the days where you can work for a company for 30 and 40 years and retire comfortably. And so I did see this as a business opportunity and then applied for a licensure, a pandemic hit. And that was the first time I really sat down and figured out my relationship with cannabis and the ways in which it can be included in a wellness routine for me. But so, you had, so that was not, so that wasn't really something that was on your mindset. You would really you had just seen it as big businesses were coming in. You have a background in business. You could see this as a business opportunity. And then you kind of figured out how to use it for your own wellness. That's interesting. So you applied in 2019. When did you apply for the license? Great question. So we applied in 2019. Um, and, when, and you opened one? 2022. <laughs> in September, right? September. Yeah, in September. So it was a lengthy journey for us. I mean, part of the problem 
problem is the length of time throughout the licensure, raising capital. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when you layer in a pandemic on top of civil unrest, I mean, if I think back to that time, I mean, I was on the high of the summer of 2019. We were selected. 27 groups applied. Only four were given licensure. It was awesome. And then you start to figure it out and a pandemic hits. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I never thought I'd live through a pandemic. So it was also figuring out like, what is life? How do you find investors? It was already hard, but now they're not even like willing to meet because they don't know if they're going to contract COVID by sitting down and having coffee with you. And so definitely added some time. Wow. I didn't even thought about that part of your story. I mean, I knew that you just had opened, but but you kept going. So you had this license, which you won. I mean, basically because of your community, you knew people in the community. That's the way, is that the way you kind of sold yourself as a unique entity? You weren't an MSO and you were kind of going to be doing this differently. How, how do you, why do you think that your license was um, approved? I mean, honestly speaking, I think I made a lot of noise. It was hard to ignore me. Anybody that was willing to listen, I would, you know, talk to you on a radio show, a TV show. I would show up to neighborhood council meetings and it share with people what I was thinking, but I was also very hell-bent on not having a lawyer or a consultant speak on my behalf. So if you go back to any of the presentations, it was me at the forefront introducing myself, talking about the concept. And I think the branding around Six Bricks really resonated with folks in the community. I mean, Six Bricks is a play on the last name Shoebrick, six people being in my immediate family. And so it was unseen and still very much is in this industry to have a Black family owning a dispensary, the dynamic of it all, managing and, your and the, and the idea that you're, again, I speak to a certain community of women who may not believe this could be useful for health and wellness because I grew up in an era and it was just what we were told is that it's dangerous, right? But I present as a certain way so that I can exist so that people can say, oh, it's okay. And you're doing that too, but your entire family has stepped up to do this, which is really interesting. So. You're going into this community that has been damaged by the war on drugs. And you're saying, this is going to be really good. And to listen to you, right? So you were able to kind of break through, trying to, it's like opening that space for them to hear the story differently. You were able to do that. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest, the reception to start was not great. I mean, there were where (laughs) my parents are sitting in the front row, kind of biting their lip um, as people are yelling. She's trying to sell like, gateway drug and ruin the community, so on and so forth. So it was definitely a mixed reception because from my vantage point, it was going to happen regardless. And so at least they there was an opportunity to have a conversation with me as an owner operator in a way you couldn't with these larger entities. And so I definitely caught it from all ends. There were people who really supported it, people who didn't understand it, and people who were simply against it. And so, yeah, it was navigating those waters. That's very, that's a lot of bravery. That's the policy work too. But again, you know what? You had a foundation. People are coming at this out of ignorance and fear and you can't be backed down by that because again, it's not a belief system. It's a science. And we've been made to believe through a narrative how dangerous it is. And people like you and the women I'm talking to are standing up across the country and saying no. And we represent <laughs> and they don't, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily look like who they would think a cannabis business owner would look like. So maybe in some ways that threw them off as well. So you're a lot Almost of stuff. Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So you're okay. So you go through all of this turmoils, chaos, you get it. You, did you have your space already? Did you? Yes. Yeah, so so and, and, and that, so just so people understand, tell them how the host agreement works and how you have to, I mean, it's a big upfront 
plus you have to continue paying for it, right? Yeah, most certainly. So um, the city of Springfield was slightly unique in that we had a request for proposals. So 27 groups applied, only four were selected. And that was a stressful process because I didn't know there was going to be a selection. I thought you had a really good proposal, you'll get picked. And we were ranked third, so we had the right to then negotiate a host community agreement. So 2019, all I had was an executed host community agreement, a space and had finalized the special permit. It was after that, then we applied with the state. The whole time I'm shelling out cash, though, because we still have to keep an active lease. Uh, I still have lawyer bills and we're waiting. It took almost a year before we got our provisional license. And then from there, it was a matter of building out the space, going through the architectural review to then get final licensure, to then wait to commence ops. So this is not a process that is quick, fast. Uh, it requires It's giving, it's giving me anxiety just thinking about it. Like you like going through all this stuff is literally giving me anxiety. Okay, so you're starting this journey Again, you're a pioneer. You have no idea what's going to happen next, but you don't know. So you just keep going. It's 2020. It's a pandemic. How does this impact your cannabis use and how does this impact how you're getting money? I mean, this is, again, this is a lot of, you need a lot of cash. You need a lot of like resources and we don't have banking in cannabis. And like I talked about earlier, there's all these like tax issues where you can't deduct normal. So this is a whole world that you're learning about as the world is on fire. So what's happening to you? I think that's probably where the cannabis you started, right? I was meeting a lot of people in industry and honestly, it was a humbling experience uh, because while I approached it with a business mentality and became very clear the ways in which cannabis could be a part of an individual's wellness routine and considering the stress, uh, the fears, the tears of not knowing exactly what's going to be happening in terms of getting across the finish line of opening doors. The pandemic was a really beautiful experience in some ways of having more free time to explore my own relationship with cannabis, while at the same time receiving a lot of no's. I mean, let's be honest, Peyton's a unisex name. And so most of my name tags I've collected say Mr. Peyton, and then I show up in a dress and heels and they're like, well, wait, you're, you're a woman of color under 30 and you want how much money? Yeah, no thanks. Oh, that's so disheartening. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I joke about it. I talk about the amount of no's I received in this process. But you got to be gentle, pressure, relentlessly applied. I mean, if you stop after your first 10 no's, then you never really get started. And so it's just keeping the faith in terms of acknowledging what I wanted to accomplish and what that could mean to the community. And then you fast forward to something like a grand opening and the mayors, they're cutting the ribbon with you. And in that moment, it makes it all worth it because you also look out into a crowd of people who look like you and are showing up to shop at your dispensary because they recognize that it's something special. Um, but the process was uh, far from easy. It's awe. I know. I kind of think a lot about I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about happiness and awe and joy. And this, it's all kind of connected back to cannabis and that it's, it's the pause. Like, it's like mm -hmm. almost like the pandemic gave you a pause that you wouldn't have taken. And again, I'm a woman of a certain age who had kids and went to law school and never paused. It is, you have to stop at some point. So I don't know. I think it's a lesson. It's a cannabis lesson. It's a world lesson. All right. All right. So you are engaged with cannabis now. You got your store open and you kind of briefly discussed your parents. So let's talk about your parents. Are they your secret sauce? And I think that's how I actually met you from your dad. And how have they been supportive and can been the foundation to help this keep going forward? 
Yeah, I mean, I won't lie. Having a family-owned business is tough, right? Because you have to put boundaries in place. It's very easy for the business to be all you have a conversation around. I'll be honest in that my mom does a really good job of putting rules in place. So no talking about cannabis on Christmas, Thanksgiving, right? Birthdays, major holidays. And so that helps. But my parents have been amazing supporters, especially my father, who, as I mentioned, growing up, dry household, was very adamant about engaging in athletics and is now a member of the leadership team managing the facilities and inventory and could talk to you about cannabinoids and terpenes and really became a strong partner in this process. And I mean, he was the one who, after every no, had to help me kind of pick up the pieces. Because while I can talk about it today and oversimplify it, I mean, when you go to present uh, your dream to someone and they tell you that it's a bad idea and to go home, that, that's a tough dynamic, especially when you start collecting 20, 30, 40 in a row with no relief. So I credit my parents to just continuing to show up for me so that I could show up for the business. And it's an interesting dynamic managing them. But that's, yeah. a, I mean, again, we talk about foundations, we talk about community, we talk about a lot of things that we want to create oh, cultures around us. We don't even know it exists. And if the cannabis world is going to be different, we're creating a different kind of culture. So it's nice you, you're there, you're in your community, working with your family. You didn't succeed and like leave and say, I can do something better. You said, this is the place I want to be. And you're in a very unique I think you're in a very unique spot because you're in an industry that you weren't necessarily connected to by health or wellness. You've chosen to do it as a business person, which is honestly what a lot of the white men are doing. So you're sort of at that same level and you have found cannabis to be something that you can use for your own health and wellness. So you kind of came to it backwards because most of the women I am meeting, it's really there. They, they find health and wellness and then they are evangelized to become entrepreneurs. So... Yeah, I definitely reverse engineered my way into cannabis. But in full transparency, I think it helped in many respects because I viewed it as a business. And so while I became more passionate over time about it, I was very clear on the business model that I was trying to bring to the forefront and didn't allow my relationship with the plant to influence that, if it makes sense. So oh, I totally clear business model and then started layering in my relationship. It's just a great story. All right. So we do have more to talk about, but we're just going to take a quick break with Peyton because we have another two guests we want to talk about. So we'll be back in a few with Peyton of Six Bricks Dispensary after we talk, take a detour into the world of, well, it's not even a detour, dispensary training and podcasting with sisters Riley and Ashleen Aguilar of Take Root in Washington State, who are also known as the Chronic, Gal, Chronic Gals podcasters. Welcome, ladies. Hi. So quick, we only have 10 minutes. So just tell me, tell my audience about your podcast. And then let's talk about dispensary training. Awesome. Go for it. So <laughs> our podcast is Chronic Gals Podcast. We've been at it since 2018. Talking about, it was originally we were talking about the cannabis industry, especially from our viewpoints in Washington State. I have been a bud tender and then I was also a marketer for a dispensary and, and I just smoked a lot of the weed that was <laughs> in the store. So we had a lot to talk about. I made your parents proud. That's good. Yeah, so <laughs> proud. Lots of really proud conversations at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but over the years, it kind of uh, we've been shifting our content into more a weed and spirituality and examining our relationship with our own spirituality and how cannabis is woven into that. 
So we're currently on a pause with the podcast because we have this new project that we've been focusing on that we'll talk about as well, the Take Root Dispensary Training. But there's a ton of episodes out there if anybody's interested. We had some really great episodes last year about like the multiverse and Marvel, Marvel, all sorts of cool stuff. So stuff I don't talk about at all because I don't even understand it. So I can I can barely like scan my tax documents and just sign up genius. So all right. um, So tell me about Again, we talk a lot about dispensary worker. It, the the idea that we're going into dispensaries and it's like going into it's like going boutique shopping. It's expensive. You're going to be dropping some money, and you want to feel like you're being cared for. There's a lot of products out there, and your front man, the person you see, is always the bud tender. So, what are you doing with dispensary training? Why why do you think this is so important? Yeah, so we both have had a lot of experience across the country visiting dispensaries. We both like to travel. Riley went on a whole road trip across the country and was able oh, to did? visit. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going across Massachusetts. That's a good idea. <laughs> it was it was awesome. I stopped in Illinois and had the weirdest dispensary experience because it was like right after they had like opened their dispensaries. So right after legalization, I asked what farms were good and no bud tender could tell me the farms. No one could tell me anything about the product. I spent $135 on a half gram cart and five pre-rolls which is very expensive if you're not <laughs> it's a very that's a very expensive ticket i mean that that's something expen- that we could get in washington for 50 bucks yeah 30 bucks all right so again so this is an expensive industry to walk in and to have the person selling you the stuff not to know what they're doing is really it again your dispensary could be beautiful and people could come in and you could have great products but if they have a bad experience they're not coming back which peyton can probably attest to so why okay so you've had a lot of experiences and you thought you could do better yeah, can be done exactly. better. <laughs> yes. okay. Yeah, and then also with me working in a dispensary myself, I recognize that there was just a training gap simply because leadership has not had the time to put together adequate training. A few things, a few programs and courses exist out there, but it's all the burden is on the bud tender to go educate themselves, to pay for it themselves, to take the time out of work to go do it themselves. Whereas from our perspective, for example, if you were to get a job as a flooring salesman, and you go to that job, they're going to train you on all of the products in their store. So why isn't that happening in dispensaries? Well, recognizing that dispensary leadership has not had a lot of time because they're dealing with regulations. And yeah, you just heard about Peyton's struggle. Yeah, the two-year struggle. of, And they don't have, yeah, she doesn't have time to create a training program. So we we took the time and did it ourselves based on our both, both our experience as users, based mm-hmm. on my experience selling weed and yeah, using all of the different product types. That's so, so, I tra- so I talk, I talk, I talk a lot about like whatever it is you do in this world, cannabis needs you. So education, people are like, I want to educate and they think about going into teaching or whatever, but businesses need education. Like if you know how to create these courses and this is something you're passionate about, this is a really, I hadn't really thought of it that way. That's a really interesting avenue into the cannabis world. If you want to work in it and not sell cannabis, but be a support, like all these ancillary businesses that are needed to keep these dispensaries running. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what we decided to do is create an online course. It's a solution, like we said, a solution for dispensary leaderships who want to train their their bud tenders. We cover foundational cannabis science. We cover all the product types you can find in a dispensary. And then that sales and customer service perspective woven throughout. So it's really something that is for bud tenders to help them guide the customer through the transactions on the floor and make sure everybody on your staff is speaking the same language. Everybody has it like the same base level knowledge of to what they're speaking to. And it just helps to support the entire staff and the entire shop. I mean, just the base level. That's really interesting because I do see there's more university, university sort of 
popping up and people doing these programs so you can learn about it. But that's coming to be a butt. I don't even know. Like, no, when you come in to be a butt tender, do people even understand there's an endocannabinoid system? That must be sort of, that's interesting. Not everybody, Not everyone. Yeah, I didn't thought about that. All right. Um, so just what about in terms of like specific products? How does that work with the butt tender training? Because what I find is I walk into these dispensaries and I understand this is just Massachusetts. They're just Massachusetts products, but it's very overwhelming. Do you have like tips and tricks or things that you do to work with cannabis dispensary training programs to help them make sure they're staying up to date on whatever's there in the, they're actually selling? Yeah. Yeah, we do. So part of the training, is, we intentionally wrote it so that it can cross state lines. So we okay. don't go into any specific products that are in any store. That is, okay. We think that that's the job of the dispensary owner okay. as part of the training period. But the way that we set it up is that basically um, that there's 10 modules to the course. So it becomes a 10-day period where you do one module a day. How long, are the mo- how long are the modules? It's 30 to 60 minutes of reading. And okay. if and that's like... And quizzing. Yeah, and a quiz. And that's okay. honestly like overestimating. It's The idea is that the, the first hour of your shift, you can do book learning. And then the rest of the shift, you get to go on the floor with your trainer and interact, and, uh, interact with your product mm-hmm. and apply the knowledge that you just learned to exactly what's in your store. So in the text, we talk about topicals, how do topicals work, transdermal patches, how do they work? But then it becomes the job of the trainer to take that new hire and say, okay, well, these are the specific brands that we carry in the store. This is why this brand is different from this brand. And this is why this product is different from this product. Are you finding that even, I mean, I know some of the products are coming in and doing training on, again, if the bud tenders are trained by someone from the creator of the product. They will remember it better, I think. Do you know what I mean? So are you doing mm-hmm. any work with actually people who are creating products who want them in dispensary to teach them how to train, how to do their own training? Is that like an, a thing? Not <laughs> yet. Know? Okay. But, but, it, <laughs> but it has been talked about as like a future, a future plan. Yeah. All right. So there's a lot of like levels of like care and concern that you need to go into this business because we, again, this is health and wellness. So if the person who's selling you your product isn't a medical professional or probably isn't at any level and you've gotten... Again, the medical program is a little tricky out here. Whatever, the medical cannabis, everything is health and wellness. We've divided into two, but everyone is coming in, I agree, I think, for some sort of benefit to their health or wellness. And the bud tender needs to really know what the products are and how a tincture affects you differently than an edible, affects you differently than a chocolate bar, affects you differently than putting a transdermal patch or my favorite, the suppositories. No one ever talks mm-hmm. about the suppositories. <laughs> That's right. And it's an uncomfortable conversation to have. And we actually have a specific section in our in our text about how to have that conversation about suppositories and also sexual lubricants, because that's another one that's kind of a tricky conversation. Perfect. All right. Um, So, ladies, so um, if dispensary owners are listening to this or anyone, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, What is the best to read? Yeah. What's the best way to connect with you and what what would you be offering them, I guess? Yeah, they can reach out to us on our website at takerootdispotraining, D-I-S-P-O training.com or email us directly at hello at takerootdispotraining.com and we can send you a demo video, schedule a call, and we can figure out what the needs are for your store and see if we can come alongside. And this is anywhere in the, anywhere in the country, right? Any English speakers. So we can do U.S., Canada. And honestly, if anybody wants us to translate, we are willing we to do that. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Oh, that's a lot of regulation. All right. Thank you again. <laughs> it's actually and- not because we specifically did it so that we don't have to worry about regulation. True. Again, training, education. I will say every woman I have spoken to in this industry, their priority is always education. It is always about this idea that we need to shift the narrative the way the shift in the narrative is literally by us existing and sharing our stories. So you guys are doing your part 
training bartenders, making sure that they are able to um, speak about this in an intelligent way so we can continue to heal people. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Um, all right. So we are back for the last few minutes with Peyton Schubert, CEO of Six Bricks Dispensary. Let's see. What do you think are some of the big opportunities in this industry? And as a business owner, what do you see as the responsibilities of the business owners in this industry? I think you guys are doing the job. I think you are. But, you know, creating a new industry, what do you think your responsibilities are? Yeah, I think it's a few things. The first is to offer really awesome customer service. I mean, I love that you're talking about training bun tenders on the show because it's oftentimes the afterthought in many respects. I mean, my own experience, we were delayed our commence ops for four weeks, which meant I'd staff on payroll. And what do we do? We educated folks, terpenes, cannabinoids, so on and so forth. And I mean, want to talk suppositories, my staff can do it. And so I didn't test them. I should have done that when I came in. Yeah, no, let me know how they do. Uh, but it's, in my opinion, right, customer service really needs to be at the forefront. And it's no longer the lazy advertising of Indica Sativa Hybrid, but really understanding what a consumer is looking for in terms of how they want to feel what is their preferred consumption method, and ensuring that you're setting them up for success. Because regardless of whether you're shopping in my dispensary or someone else's, if you misinform a consumer and they have a bad experience, we as an industry look bad. It's not just a reflection of your dispensary. Um, so I think that's a huge opportunity. I think business owners also need to be more responsible in supplier diversity efforts. Mm. So carrying women-owned brands, Black-owned brands, and so many other aspects of diversity in this industry that don't get talked about until it's a month, right, for them to talk about it. So we just concluded Black History Month. We're now in Women's History Month. And so it is, in my mind, the lazy attempts of, it's Women's History Month. Let's carry more women brands only for you to go back to your regularly scheduled menu two weeks later after that. So it's thinking through that aspect. And then the last thing that I would add that I think business owners really need to be responsible with is figuring out ways that they can work with other business owners, especially if we have geographical diversity. Uh, you do not need to view everyone who owns a dispensary when you own one as well as competition. It really does not help us as an industry when you're trying to protect your slice of the pie versus figuring out how we can make more pies together. So those are my top three, if you will. That is a woman speaking with a new perspective. Again, <laughs> business looks a certain way because people decide it was going to be that way and we can decide something different. Maybe next week I'll talk about a book I'm reading about the myth of free markets economies that, again, this is a small business idea. We could have a lot of small businesses across the country that are building generational wealth at a, at a normalized level, as opposed to what we've created now, which is capitalism that creates capital just for a lot of people at the top. I just think this is an idea that could happen. I just love the idea of small and medium businesses. There's a lot of policy work. I talk about that a lot that could make small, medium businesses more lucrative. It is now all still in state. So we have this opportunity to do things in Massachusetts. I don't other states are doing their own thing, but how do we support small businesses and make sure that they are thriving in this economy? Because once you guys have the foundation for in here, maybe that we can actually create a difference across the country, these small and medium businesses. So that's my dream. 
All right. So your secret sauce. I already talked about this. All right. So what's coming up for you this year? Are you expanding? Are you speaking? Are you, I don't know, is your dad taking, I don't know, going on YouTube? What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> 2023 for us is surviving and thriving. We're reading a lot of articles specific to the Massachusetts market with the source in Northampton recently closing its doors after eight months of being operational. We've now seen Pleasantry closing their doors. So the rhetoric has been rather negative around dispensaries in Massachusetts and what that looks like holistically. So the team and I are focused on controlling our controllables, right? What can we do to diversify revenue? How can we engage with our community? So I'm very excited. And in April, we'll be hosting an expungement clinic. We're nominated for Best Dispensary through NECAN after only being operational for six months. So uh, we're focused on controlling what we can control, which is how we're treating our customers, how we're engaging with the community, and how we're choosing to show up every day. And so that's the focus for us right now. Awesomeness. I will, I will be at NECAN. I was a NECAN winner last year, so I, like, I voted. And uh, good thoughts for you. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. It's amazing. This is, again, this is, she's a pioneer in this industry in Massachusetts. She's doing something different. If you are out in the area and you want to stop by a dispensary, stop by hers and ask which so many products they have. Obviously they're local, but how local and who's growing it and ask questions to your bartender because I know, and then support those businesses. So Peyton, what's the best way to people connect with you? Well, actually, I guess give the address of the um, dispensary and what's the best way to connect with you if they want to reach you. Most certainly. So we are located at 1860 Main Street in Springfield, Massachusetts. And the best way to connect with me, I would say through our website, my email's there, as is most of the leadership team. So don't hesitate to reach out. I respond to just about everything, including our Google review. So we appreciate it all. Awesome. All right. Thank you. All right. Another show, another show. So for my guest, Peyton and sisters, Ashlyn and Riley, and of course, my Keanu bro, David Jazz, and our team, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Keanu Mom Show, where we're on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing all the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Keanu Mom Show. And we're a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.